Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 16. I want to read a fairly lengthy passage of Scripture from 7 through 22. Sometimes uh, there are books like uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, that New Testament Christians tend to sort of skip over or skim or whatever. But there, there's huge, huge blessings there. There's great meat. And so tonight I want to just concentrate on verse 7 through 22 of the 16th chapter of Leviticus. And he, he meaning the high priest, the Aaronic priesthood, the high priest. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron, that's the high priest at that time, at the time of Moses when this was written. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. I might just circle that. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him. Atonement in Hebrew, kippur. Yom meaning day, and kippur meaning atonement. To make an atonement with him and let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off of the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, so that he die not. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, Before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil to do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat before the, and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place, the holy place meaning the holy of holies, the holiest place, until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, Then he shall bring the live goat 
Remember, there were two. He cast lots. The first one was for the sacrifice. He has now slain that one and poured out his blood. Now, the other one, the one upon which the scapegoat lot fell. Verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat. Just pause just a moment. In Hebrew, it isn't just lay his hands. We talk about the laying on of hands. It is that he shall press his hands. He shall press heavily. He pushes down on the head of that goat until its legs tremble. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man, meaning a big, strong guy that they can trust to take this goat into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon himself all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. There is a reason that a confederation of Islamic states launched a war against Israel on Yom Kippur. There is a reason that today in Germany, a man went into a synagogue and opened fire and committed mass murder. There is a reason because it is the holiest day in the, in the Jewish calendar. Yom Day Kippur Atonement, the Day of Atonement. Put your hands on your Bible and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that in just the next few moments, that you will brush aside every barrier to divine communication. Come Holy Spirit. Enliven our hearts, quicken our spirits, free us from the drudgery of the day and the fatigue of the moment and make us sensitive to all that you want to say to us. In the mighty name, Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. The holiest of all the days of the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, it follows Rosh Hashanah, the new year, the Jewish new year. So a few days after the new year, the Jewish people are commanded by God to enter into a season of fasting and introspection, of confession, of soul searching. Then on the actual day of atonement to do absolutely no work, to refrain from any kind of physical pleasure and, and to, to really seek God. And that is carried on even today. There is, there is now in the, in the synagogues, uh, the, in the liturgy of Yom Kippur, an interesting thing. They now read largely from the book of Jonah. I, I have searched my heart. I'm, I'm leaving for Israel, I won't be back until the end of the month. But while I'm there, I'll spend some time with a friend of mine who is a rabbi there, and I'm going to ask him why the book of Jonah, which has almost nothing to do, has nothing to do with Yom Kippur that I can discern. But here's what I've been able to see in that, whether I'm correct in it or not, but it seems to me that it is this. The book of Jonah is a book about reconciliation. 
It is about a man who disobeys God, flees from the presence of God, gets himself into a mess, is reconciled to God following repentance, is willing to obey God, and is sent then to the largest Gentile city in the world at that time, Nineveh, and there they repent of their sins and turn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And so it is, it is about the play, our place in the human community. It is about the issue of sin and rebellion and disobedience and how that is resolved with confession and repentance. But it is fundamentally about the grace of God. God doesn't get so angry with Jonah. He, gets, he allows Jonah to be swallowed by a fish. You know, there are a lot of people that can repent in the belly of a fish. They, they, they find that in a propitious moment to turn to God. But he doesn't allow him to die there. He's dealing with him. He's breaking him. He's bringing him to that point of repentance and renewal and then to the restoration of his, of his calling and, and the calling of the, the Jewish people, that out of the Jewish people come a light to the Gentiles. So I can see that it is a connection to, to Yom Kippur, but it's, an, it's a fascinating turn of events. That is in the modern in the modern Jewish liturgy in synagogues on, on Yom Kippur. But here we're reading from the book of Leviticus how Yom Kippur was celebrated during the years of the tabernacle and then subsequently during the years of the temple and of the second temple. Let's just kind of go over it in our minds. I read it to you, but sometimes the antiquated language of the King James translation of, of Leviticus is a bit challenging to sort of comprehend what he's saying. On the day of atonement, two goats are chosen and they cast lots, they more or less shoot dice. And one of them becomes the goat for the Lord. The other one becomes what is translated in the English Bible, as we read it, the scapegoat. But we'll come back to that. Now, Aaron is the only one at that time, and then the high priest subsequently, generation after generation, can go into the Holy of Holies to pour that goat's blood on, on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. But there's a problem. What about Aaron's sins? He's going into the Holy of Holies, but Aaron also is a man. Aaron also has sinned. So first of all, he has to kill a bullock he has to pour the blood of the bullock out in order to sanctify himself. There are all kinds of complex details that we didn't even read how he has to cleanse himself and he has to wear clean linen clothes and all of the whole thing of cleanliness. Then he has to, to sacrifice for the cleansing of the tabernacle. Even the tabernacle itself has to be sanctified. Then he has to do all of these complex things in order to get clean, to get the tabernacle clean, to get the, 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 the Holy of Holies clean. All of that has to happen. And he has to be clean because he sinned. Now, only now, he can kill that goat and sacrifice that blood for the sins of the people. Now he comes out of the tabernacle, comes out of the Holy of Holies. No one is even allowed in while he's in there. And he comes out. And then they bring the other goat. This is fascinating. They bring the other goat forward, and it says that he lays hands on him. As I told you, in Hebrew, he presses heavily. He presses heavily. And 
the congregation of the Jewish people consent to the reality that their sins are more or less coming up out of them as they have repented and confessed. Now their sins are being lifted out of them, passing through the body of the high priest and into that goat. And that the goat actually absorbs one year. This is done every year. So he absorbs one year of the nation's sins. They, they, by faith, they see that their sin has gone into that goat. The goat now becomes, as it were, sin. The sin of the nation. A year's worth of sins. And then they choose someone to take that goat into the wilderness and lead him far away. Now, it is not in the book of Leviticus, but subsequently in the years to follow, it became that they didn't want to take a chance. What they don't want is to see that goat come back. The sins have been banished into the wilderness. I don't want to see him back. I want him not to come back. So subsequently in the years to follow and in the centuries to follow, this clear and simple direction to take the goat into a desert place and leave him, it evolved finally into an even more secure decision. That man who led the goat into the wilderness finally would take the goat and throw him off of a cliff so that their sins were gone. And for that year, at least, he would bear it no more. Year after year, after decade, after decade, after century, after millennium, after millennium, every year, the people of Israel repenting, confessing, searching their heart, and then making their way to Jerusalem or to wherever the tabernacle was, Shiloh or, or in the wilderness or wherever, for this ritual of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, the goat that is sent into the wilderness is called the scapegoat. He becomes the sin of the people. He bears the sin away. Well, there is a, there is a challenge with the word scapegoat, and I don't want to make a huge thing of it, but I just want to bring it to your attention. The word in Hebrew is Azazel. Azazel. Nobody is quite sure what it means. Not, not just a Gentile like me. Nobody is quite sure what it means. There is a possibility that it's two words cobbled together. Az means goat. And Azel, Azel can mean shaken or, or, or maybe shaken away. Something like that. But the problem in Hebrew, I'm just going to put a slide up on the screen now. I want you to see a literal translation of that passage of scripture. In, in, it's in English, but you're going to see this is not the King James Version. This is a literal word-for-word -word translation. And take the two goats and stand them up before Yahweh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and Acharon, that's Aaron, will give the two goats over to the casting of lots. One lot to Yahweh and one lot to, the preposition is the problem. One lot to Azazel. 
And the Charon who shall bring the goat which over him was cast lot to Yahweh and make him a sin offering. And the goat which was over him, the lot cast to Azazel. He will stand alive before Yahweh to make atonement to send him to Azazel in the wilderness. So how can you make him to a scapegoat? So it's translated Azazel, the shaken goat, the, the banished goat, the one that is shaken loose from the congregation. And scapegoat is a perfectly reasonable translation. However, there is another possibility, and I'm, I'm not running for Congress on this. I just, wanna, I just want to mention it to you in passing. There is mentioned in a non-canonical book, the book of Enoch, which we do not read. It's not in the Bible. I'm not trying to get anybody to read the book of Enoch. But there is mentioned a demon spirit called Azazel. And this demon spirit now becomes the enemy of humanity. So there is a different way, perhaps, of thinking of it. That the sin is banished into the wilderness, but also the sin is sent back to where it came from. That all of the wretchedness, all of the perversion, all of the nastiness, all of the evil, all of the sin, everything that came up out of the bowels of hell and attacked the children of the living God is sent back to hell. Now, either way, it's a nifty verse. So the people see this. They see Aaron come out and he says, he comes out of the, the high priest comes out of the Holy of Holies and he says, the blood is on the mercy seat. The blood is on the mercy seat. Sin of the year covered. But wait a minute, there's more. They bring that other goat. Aaron lays his hands on there. And the sin of the people, the nation of Israel comes up, passes through the high priest into the goat and a strong man leads that goat away, either to leave him in the wilderness or throw him over a cliff, and the sin is gone, and the people rejoice. And the people rejoice. Their sin is not simply forgiven. It is removed from them and never to come again. At least for a year. So year after year, millennium after millennium, every year on Yom Kippur, another priest, a new high priest, two more goats, the oceans of blood that are shed, and the goats that are led away into the wilderness every year. It's a great moment. It's a wonderful thing, but it has to be repeated every single year. And then the tabernacle is gone. The temple is gone. Israel conquered and reconquered and people led away in slavery and there is no temple. But the book of Hebrews says in the ninth chapter, we 
We have an eternal high priest. We have an eternal high priest. Everything in this scene speaks to us of what Jesus has done for us and of who Jesus is. Look, the high priest is Jesus. The priesthood of Aaron is, is finished. There is, there is, that priesthood is over. There is no high priest after the order of Aaron. But Jesus is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. There was no beginning. There was no ending. There was no start. He's the first. He's the last. He's the complete priesthood. He's the eternal priest. The high priest for the people of Israel, just like, just like preachers. You know, you get one high priest. You say, man, I really like that guy. You know, and then he, you know, like dies. You get the next high priest. He's, I don't don't know something about this high priest. (laughs) Little beard, I don't know. So year after year, decade after decade, the high priest changes. But we have an eternal high priest. He's not only not going to change, he's not going to die. He's not going to get senile. He's not going to go away. He's perfect in his judgment and perfect in his grace. He cannot take a bribe. He cannot be altered. No one can change his opinion of us. He is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Perfect in every way and eternal. Now, what about the goat that is slain and taken inside? The blood that is poured out on the mercy seat, every year, that blood dried up. After a a day or two, the blood dried up. But the book of Hebrews says, we who cannot be sanctified by the shedding of blood of bulls and, and the ashes of a heifer, for we have an eternal sacrifice. So Jesus is not only the priest, he is actually the priest and the sacrifice. He's, what did he say? No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. So when Jesus arose from the dead and ascended into heaven, as he came forward toward heaven and the gates opened and Jesus came in, he came in before God the Father Almighty representing us and he poured out on the mercy seat in heaven the blood of an eternal sacrifice. What does eternal mean? Now look, we get the word eternal and the word everlasting mixed up. I mean, everlasting is good, but everlasting can be taken to mean a pink bunny with a pair of symbols. <laughs> everlasting just means it goes on and on and on and on. It lasts forever, but it might last forever. Everlasting is an effete word to talk about the priesthood of Christ because it might last forever getting older and older and older and older. But eternal means that it lasts forever unchanged by space and time. That's the reason, by the way, just in passing, let me help you with something. Do you ever hear people say this to you? I'm afraid I'll be bored in heaven. You know, just sit up thousands of years, thousands of years, sit up on a cloud, strumming a harp, harp, you know. The fact of the matter is, we have absolutely no indication, A, that you will sit on a cloud, or B, that you will know how to play a harp. Nobody, there's no indication. That's somebody's comedy, okay? But here's the thing. 
No matter what heaven is like, if you are there 10 million years, you will never get bored with it because it's eternal. The exhilaration that you sense the moment, the first moment you step into glory, that will never be diminished by time because it's eternal. So we have an eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek who pours out the blood of an eternal sacrifice so that the blood that's on the mercy seat in heaven is still as wet as the day he first poured it out. So the blood is unchanged. The priesthood is unchanged and the blood is unchanged. Now, what about this other goat? What about this other goat? This is so wonderful that as Aaron presses upon that goat, the sin of the people pass into the goat. And the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, and him that knew no sin became sin for our sakes that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The eternal priest, the eternal sacrifice, and the eternal scapegoat. He became sin to carry our sin away, to be cast away from us. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. It's finished. It's gone, completely gone, into the wilderness, to Azazel. That sin is gone. It's lifted from you. Dr. M.G. McLuhan used to say, he has thrown your sin into the sea of his forgetfulness and posted a sign that says no fishing allowed. You can't find it. You can't come back to listen to what I'm telling you. I want you to hear the goodness of this. Is there something for which you have confessed and pled for God's forgiveness and been granted. When you mention it to him the second time, he doesn't know what you're talking about. He remembers it no more. It passes. Why? On the cross of Calvary, the pressure. Imagine this. Imagine just the sin in this room. Imagine just the sin in this room. Just the lies that anybody's ever told. Just the, just the ugly thoughts that anybody has ever had. Just the, the deception, the disloyalty, just the theft, just the pettiness, just the wickedness from this one room. If that ever were fastened into the body of a human being in one moment, all at one time, can you imagine the, the horror of that? Now imagine the sin of all of humanity all that has ever lived, all that ever will live, all of that sin somehow in the mystery of God is fastened through space and time into the body of a living man who has never known one second of sin. And all of that is goes into his body in one moment on the cross. That's the reason that Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama shabakthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why am I cast aside into a wilderness as if I am being thrown over a cliff? Why? Because of me. Because of us. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. 
Now, now one thing remains, and that is this. When? I mean, see, the Day of Atonement, that, that annual event, it's, I understand the celebration of it. I understand the ongoing celebration of it. I understand the core of its meaning to the Jewish people. But what about us? What about us? We don't have a Day of Atonement. I was in Israel some years ago, and I met a group of kids from a, a, a certain college, and they recognized me because I'd preached at their college one time in a chapel, and they ran up to me, and they had just been to a place where they're making, remaking all the instruments for a, a, a temple, for the temple, all the, all the golden laver and the lampstands and all that kind of thing, and they were feverish. And they rushed up to me and they said, Dr. Mark, won't, won't it be wonderful, won't it be wonderful when we can come here to Jerusalem and go in the temple and see sacrifice? And I said, well, uh, no. No that, no, that won't be wonderful at all. What have we to do with the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a sprinkling of a heifer? What if, when is the Day of Atonement? When is the Day of Atonement for us? Paul says, now, this is the acceptable day of the Lord. This moment, right this moment, this is the day of atonement. Every day is the day of atonement. Our high priest is right now in the Holy of Holies, whispering in the ear of God the Father Almighty, making intercession for you. Jesus is in there praying for you. His blood is on the mercy seat, still efficacious for you tonight, this moment. And he is still the eternal scapegoat who has received your sin into his sinless body and borne it away. Can we even begin to think of the nightmare, the horror that that must have felt like as our sins were fastened in his body? But then the glorious moment when he rose from the dead and who did he meet? Who did he meet in the garden? A woman with a speckled past, wounded, out of whom demons had been cast. And he meets her in a lonely garden early in the morning and she sees him and she says, Rabbi, it's the most natural thing in the world. Rabbi. She starts toward him and he says, no, Mary, detain me not. I have not yet arisen. I've not yet ascended to the Father. He says, I love you and I'll be back. But first, I have something I have to take care of. I have to pass through space and time and enter into the gates of the eternal city of the New Jerusalem and appear before my heavenly Father and pour my own blood on the altar because sinful humanity needs a day of atonement. This is the day of atonement. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. 
Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook. 